The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Lance Bass Pro Shops. No matter what time of year it is, whether it's already August or it's going to be May, we've got exactly what you need to shed that squeaky clean boy band image. You too can become a rugged outdoorsman with no strings attached. It ain't no lie, both your wardrobe and your tackle box can be fly, fly, fly. So if somebody's tearing up your yurt, stop into a Lance Bass Pro Shop today. Come visit any of our five locations with our newest store located between 98 Degrees HVAC and Boyce to Men's Warehouse. Lance Bass Pro Shops, get in sync with the outdoors. Patent pending. now get ready this is the platinum sombrero podcast with your host dylan short and adam doc herbert Hello, hello, welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero. Dylan Doc with you here as always, brought to you by our friends at Armchair All-Americans and our friends at MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the number one site for online gambling. If you'd like to have a little bit of fun with the online sports books, MyBookie is the place to go. All the best lines, all the updated prop bets, whatever it is you like to bet on, MyBookie.ag has you covered. Baseball, basketball. NHL playoffs, I know they're still going on. Whatever it is, my bookie has you covered. Use our promo code BRAVES25, and they're going to give you a fifty uh, up to 50% initial deposit match, meaning when you first sign up and you put in $100 as your first, your first payment, they're going to give you $50 just for signing up. As long as you use our promo code BRAVES25, mybookie.ag, play, win, have fun. All right, so... We've got kind of two directions of this show. You guys both know Doc and I are, are definitely going to talk Max Reed, a lot of Max Reed, because he's just amazing. Um, I do feel it is it would be irresponsible for us not to mention, in passing, uh, the train wreck that happened this afternoon, recording on Thursday. The, uh, the getaway game against San Diego was um, not the way that you wanted it to go? It was a bit of a bloodbath, but... We did get to see Charlie Culberson pitch, and he logged his first career strikeout. So it's not all bad. On and, a front door slider, no less. Yeah, former uh, former high, highly ranked prospect Manny Margo, he got that strikeout against. So uh, he touched 92. He didn't hit 94 like he did last year when he had to pitch against Colorado. But uh, but yeah, and even, yeah, we'll, we'll dive into 
into that madness. But uh, all things considered, the this Padre series was uh, was kind of inspiring in a couple of different ways, don't you think? Oh, I I was so excited with this entire series just because of who you got to watch pitch. I mean, from the get go, it was amazing. You had Mike Soroka, you had Nick Marga Marga whatever's Marga Vicious Marga Vicious. Uh, I guess that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he's Nick. He's Nick M to us, right? You got. To, we finally got to see Chris Paddock in person and not have to stay up late to watch a West Coast broadcast. And boy, he is something else. Last night, you got Max Fried and Cal Quantrill making his major league debut, and he looked fantastic. And then today, you got to see Fulte get his second start, and you got to see Matt Strom, who's a guy that did you realize that he's only been a starter one other season in his pro career, and that was uh, 2016, I believe, in Double A when he had 102 innings. I actually didn't realize that. I always kind of just, I always have a bit of a prospect fatigue with him just because it feels like he's been around for forever from back when he was with Kansas City. He's also, but, he's the same age as Julio and Mike Fultonevich. <laughs> is he really? Yeah, he's 27. So he's like the elder statesman on that, on that staff then. Yeah. Wow. No, he, he looked great. I mean, the, the Padres pitching staff, I mean, the entire Padres farm system, like, is is kind of preposterous, you know, like like you alluded to with with Paddock and and Quantrill, who's a, a former, uh, he's a number eight pick in the in the same draft that the that the Braves wound up taking Anderson, Wentz, and Muller, um, Nick M, who had never made a start above a ball before this year, and then he's still he's like a fixture in their rotation now. I mean, the Padres are kind of terrifying, and you know, even we look around and we see. Braves are being aggressive with with Drew Waters and and they're you know last year you saw all these really aggressive promotions and I mean the Padres are doing the same thing but they're not even like letting these guys toil in in the minors they're just throwing them into the fire like look you got it you know you can you can do this now and I texted you this I think it was on Tuesday this is a legit 2020 NLDS NLCS preview type series I mean we have not heard the last of the San Diego Padres no not at all that's what makes it so exciting is you're seeing a lot of young guys and the Padres. I really, you know, you're not supposed to like anybody that's not a Braves team. I really do like this Padres team. I like what they're doing this year. They're not playing the service time game. They're just saying, if, if you're good enough to play, we're going to get you going. Andy Green is a phenomenal manager. AJ Preller has done a great job as GM. They're a really fun team to get behind. Agreed. And we didn't even get to see Fernando Tatis Jr., the, or Eric uh, Lauer, by the way, who got his start pushed back, who's yet another really good young arm. The yeah, the Padres Padres are really really interesting team interesting team to track. But uh, I will I will say this: for as good as Margivichus Margivichus Nick M for as good as Nick M was on Monday night, I am so glad that it was our guy that wound up. Uh, coming out on top, and that was Mike Soroka. I could watch Mike Soroka do anything. That guy is like a 60-year-old trapped in a 21-year-old's body. He is just, he's a surgeon. He's so good. I mean, it's, he really has been just something else. He's all sorts of locked in. And you kind of wondered with all the uh, with all the shoulder injuries, he hadn't pitched in, he hadn't pitched in a major league game in almost a year. And both of his starts, he's just come out there and he's been great. If I'm not mistaken, his average launch angle, and I, I'm one thing I'm going to try and do from now on is not not be uh, not buy quite so much into the advanced stats. I, I have to wonder whether or not that uh, turns off so anybody who's listening that uh, that re- really doesn't want to get into uh, some of hey, the stats like hey, that. Hey, don't you pander! 
if you're here's what I would say. If you're going to use some advanced stats, I think both of us should be a little bit better as far as explaining why we use that particular stat. Understood. Well, how about this one? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Mike Soroka's uh, launch angle given up is negative, which means <laughs> like, and, I'm, and that's that's not a joke. And even even Max Fried, who we're obviously going to expound on here in just a minute, his launch angle is like four degrees, which is for the amount of sample size that you have. Fried's is obviously bigger than Soroka's because I think that Fried is coming up on coming up on 40 innings and Soroka is sitting on like 16, 17 right now. Um, just it's ground ball after ground ball after ground ball. It's not giving up a lot of line drives, not giving up a lot of fly balls, and accordingly not giving up a lot of home runs. If we talked about this with Mike Petriello, we you always want to see guys that can strike guys out because funny things happen when the ball gets put in play. But if you are going to put the ball in play, then you obviously want it to be a ground ball because line drives, fly balls can wind up turning into a nightmare. So. Well, I think I think the important thing to say with those two is they're not necessarily ground ball pitchers. Well, that's, and that's that's true. That is that is very true. But they they have been uh, minimizing any type of fly balls outside of like pop ups. Right. Well, I'm saying I don't think they're they're not pitch to contact guys. They're not ground ball pitchers. They have electric stuff. They just know how to pitch so that when you do hit the ball, you're more likely to make weaker contact. I mean, if you want a crazy number of Max Freed, this is – are you ready for this one? Max Freed's curveball, sure. we all know We all know how great it is. It's got a 2860 RPM, which is the spin rate, essentially. Uh, and for those that aren't familiar with why people are so caught up in spin rate on curveballs, the higher the spin, the tighter the break on it. So the, the sharper break, instead of you seeing uh, – Guys that have these big loopers that uh, that kind of sweep across the zone, what they'll call slurves, those aren't generally viewed as good pitches because you can see the motion and you can see the movement from a while of, from a mile away. When they've got that really tight spin where they're spinning fast like that, it's a really really sharp and quick break, which is why the higher ones like Seth Lugo with his thirty five hundred RPM curveball, it's why they're so good because it gives it's so much more deceptive and it's such a, a, a quicker break and it messes with the hitter's reactions. Well, Max Fried's curveball has a 34.5% whiff rate. So one out of every three times that uh, that it's thrown, somebody is swinging through it. Yes, more than one out of every three times. And that also, and that's just for swings and misses, and that doesn't take into account times that he throws it where it just winds up you know, buckling somebody's knees and they just watch it go by for strike one. So, I mean, that he has come a long, long way with that pitch. And and you contrast that with somebody like Sean Newcomb, who only throws. I think the last time I saw it was eleven percent of his curveballs wound up generating a strike, whether swinging or looking. That's that's not it. You know, well, I told I mean? you so, that's that's the biggest difference. And last night, if you watched, sorry to keep interrupting Doc, but uh, <laughs> if you if you watched last night, th- that's what's so much different about Freed as opposed to all these other guys. When you watch him throwing that curve, he's not just throwing it to a zone; he's throwing it to an actual location. Like if McCann wants it right on the on the inside corner, Freed hits the glove with his breaker. It's not near the inside corner. It's not within two inches of the glove. It is where the glove is placed. That's what's di- that's what makes Freed's curveball different from anybody else's. You talk about Newcombs, and everybody talks about Newcombs when he was coming up because it had that big loop in it and it had a big drop. But Newcomb has never been able to locate that pitch. He's never been able to spot it up. I'll say whether you can throw it for a strike or not. That's not the same thing as spotting it up. 
And they, uh, Mike Soroka and Max Fried were on 680 The Fan this morning. They were on uh, Nick and Chris's show, friend of the program, Chris Domino. Um, and they were talking about throwing quality strikes and the difference between actually throwing a strike and throwing a quality strike. And I believe it was Soroka that mentioned, you know, you can just you can point down the middle and you can just say, I'm going to throw it as a strike. But it's not the same thing as throwing that strike where you want to throw it. It's like there's a difference between hitting the black on the inside corner and just throwing an inside fastball. It's two very big differences. No, that's that's uh, that's a really good point, actually. And just listening to both of those guys talk about pitching where it's not just they're going up there and just kind of getting lucky. I mean, they are so knowledgeable about exactly what they're trying to do and having and the whole, the whole veteran presence thing, depending on what day of the week you catch me, I'll, I'll um, have differing, differing opinions on how important that stuff actually is. But having these guys being able to work with Brian McCann, like, and you, you said the, you've said this uh, same thing about McCann working with, working with Freed, like, he calls a better game for him than Flowers does. Flowers is a great catcher with, with what he does with the framing and, and the, some of the work that he puts in behind the plate. But McCann, being that veteran, being that kind of calming presence and being like, that guy's a professor. You know what I mean? Like, they work so well together and just being able to, to talk pitching and sequencing and, and all that for a guy who's been around and done it as many times as he has. I mean, such an asset. He really has been. I mean, He's hitting over 300 with a with an OPS that's like 825, you know, and the the catching tandem of Tyler Flowers and Brian McCann has actually been exactly as valuable as JT Realmuto, and it didn't wind up costing you Kristen Pache, but uh, but yeah, I mean, we're watching these guys grow up before our eyes, and Soroka and Freed, if they can keep this up, man, what a one-two punch! That is just that one lefty, one righty. Soroka's 21, dude. That's crazy talk. <laughs> and Max is 24, 25. It's, it's, yeah. This series was a good look into what you're expecting to see from the Braves. Between the, the first three starters, between Soroka, to, or, yeah, between Soroka, Tehran, and Freed, they went, uh, what was it? They went 20 innings, had 23 strikeouts, two walks. You'll love to see that. For a team that has struggled so mightily with walks, that's that was really refreshing. And even today, Fulty wound up getting hammered. Things went real bad for him in the fifth, but he didn't walk anybody. <laughs> Only had three <laughs> strikeouts though as well. I was just gonna I was gonna just not use that one at all. Just talking about those and talking about Tehran's start, by the way. You had Chip Carey saying that it was a great start. Uh, anytime you give up three homers, it's not a great start. What Chip should have said was these that Tehran was much better than his final line would indicate. That's very true because aside from Fran Mil Reyes, Tuki was or Julio was really, really good that day. Now, unfortunately, you can't just take a guy and just remove his stats from the lineup. You do have to face him. Uh, but that was a good start from Julio. I thought that was one of his his better outings of the year as far as his stuff wise. Eight strikeouts and one walk for him. And you know the walks are always a big thing with Julio. All three of those guys did a phenomenal job. Unfortunately, Fulty was not able to keep it going. Um, but I, I really didn't have much of a problem. Unfortunately for Julio, you had to face Chris Paddock. Yeah, and and Paddock, that, that's one of those matchups you go into. It's similar to, and I'm not comping these guys, but like when we went into the game against Corey Kluber, where you're saying, oh man, I just hope this goes well. I hope you keep right. it close. You know, and 
and I feel bad for Julio because this year he's faced Nola, he's faced DeGrom, he's faced Kluver, he's faced Paddock, he faced Luis Castillo. Like, every time you turn around, Julio is playing second fiddle to the other team's starter. But Chris Paddock, man, that kid is a freak. That kid is so, so good. He he does kind of rem- remind me of uh, remind me of Soroka a little bit. It's very, very similar, precise pinpoint control throwing everything for strikes. What, what was the graphic that they showed? Like 42 out of Paddock's first 52 pitches were strikes or something? I mean, that, even yeah. Soroka's looking at that going, damn. Like he threw first pitch strikes like the first, what was it, like the first 12 hitters? Yeah, and, and he just had was stifling guys, making them, making them look silly, you know, just kind of shaking their head as soon as they realized, like, what is this changeup? That, oh that changeup is so beautiful. Yeah, and and you know he does look like he drives a ni- 1984 Camaro, and he's got like a got a journey, <laughs> journey tape, um, like stuck in there. Gonna, it's not even like he, he meant to have it in there. It's just stuck, right? right. And you know he's going to show up midseason with just a mustache. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Yeah. Like he's the type. But that's the thing: if you can pitch like that, you can do whatever you want. He's got relentless so, stitched on his glove. He's got one of the meanest death stares in existence. I love me some Chris Paddock. It it yeah. it really blows my mind that he was two thirty six in his draft. And and he is um, he is carrying that with him everywhere he goes. And and you look at I just mentioned Luis Castillo and Chris Paddock, and we were talking about uh, Domingo Herman. Um, like they're all Marlins. All of these guys were Marlins. That makes it even better. Oh, those poor Marlins. Sorry, Joe Frazaro. I mean, Lewis Brinson just sent down, but apparently he and Acuna are the same level of talent. Sorry, I couldn't let that one slip by. Yeah, I mean, and so the Marlins, God knows that, like, everywhere you look, things are are going bad for them, and uh, except for Caleb Smith. Uh, But, yeah, like, don't you feel like – they they might be kind of second guessing having traded everyone immediately. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, you, you look around at all these guys that they had, and they traded them for like nobodies. It was they had Tatis uh, Junior too, didn't they? No, that was the White Sox. Oh, um, that's right. Fernando Tatis got traded for James Shields. Yes. Oh. Um, Chris Paddock got traded for Fernando Rodney. And Luis Castillo got traded for Dan Straley. So, so (laughs) we can, I get, you know, we can, we can talk about Andrew DeSimmons for Sean Newcomb and maybe some other trades like the, you know, a lot of trades wind up going, going sideways. The Braves got pretty lucky in in a lot of their rebuild trades as it were. That one uh, has, has not looked particularly well, but the Braves are not the only team to have ever wound up losing a trade kind of like that. But, (sighs) you know, so so yeah, the the Padres are are set up for success right now. They might be playing a little bit over their heads. Um, just, I don't know if this is going to wind up being the team that that wins the NL West, uh, especially considering the Dodgers are just ridiculous. And uh, Mike Trout is now wearing Cody Bellinger pajamas. Um, that's like the hottest start I've, I've ever seen. But this Padres team is good, and you you feel good about even for as good as their pitching was today because they put four really good guys out. You feel good about splitting that. And when you look at a game like today, you're going to look at the bullpen and say that over four and a third innings, they allowed five runs, but it was all Shane Carl. Who's the human punching bag. You look at, um, you look at Grant Dayton, you look at Jerry Blevins, Luke Jackson. And I don't really think that we should include Charlie Culberson in the how is the Braves bullpen getting better discussion, but it hasn't seemed to be quite so 
dumpster fiery. Outside of the Colorado game um, on Saturday night where Minter just totally lost it, you know, they small incremental gains. You know, they did get Blevins. He's not the answer, but he's a step. Sabatia is on the IL. Biddle's on the IL. Dayton's up. Winkler's up. You know, Josh Tomlin and Luke Jackson are the only guys from the opening day bullpen that haven't been optioned. You know, there's Carl. He was there on opening day, but he spent some time in Gwinnett. So still a work in progress. Still got some really bad numbers. But if you take Venters and Carl out, it's not quite as bad. And and I feel better about the bullpen now than I did like a week ago. Would you agree with that? Or do you think it's still I, just... I do think that they are better than they were. I mean, just putting Biddle and Sabatka on the IL with strained case of can't throw strikes, uh, that helps them in and of itself. In the second segment, we're going to explore some options because there have been a few uh, there have been a few proposals out there for relievers, in particular with one one special team. Uh, but I do want to say this: we can talk about the bullpen doing better, but that's like there's this weird narrative going around, and it's going around. I'm not even going to say the name of the show because you guys all know the one show dumb enough to actually say this. Uh, the the show trying to use Mark Bradley's piece in the AJC as a way to pin the struggles of the bullpen on the starting rotation as if the starting rotation has been bad. Um, that is absolutely not true. Like at all in the, in the slightest. Man, I got no idea what you're talking about, but that might be good. I could plead ignorance in case something happens. Well, here's the thing. There's this weird thought that, that, and it, you, most people should know which show. I'm just not going to say their name again. Um, I'll give you a hint, Doc. It's the guy that I continuously call out every every Wednesday morning. Um, got it. <laughs> but uh, now I got it. Trying to say that because the Braves starters don't go deep enough into games, that it makes the bullpen have to throw extra, and that's why the the starters are letting down the bullpen. Uh, well, that's actually not true, and it's very easy to find the actual numbers. For instance, Doc, if I told you the Braves starters were, and this was as of Wednesday, eighteenth uh, in innings pitched, middle of the road, right? Yeah. That also includes Tuki Toussaint and uh, Sean Newcomb going an inning and a third apiece. So if you even average those out to just five inning stints, the Braves are now top 10 in innings pitched by starters. 20th in overall war, 20th in ERA. Again, the ERA inflated because of those two starts where even if you give uh, the Indians and the Mets the same amount of runs and you just spread it out over four or five innings, then that would drop into the middle of the pack. The strikeouts, they are 12th at uh, 8.8 Ks per nine. The walks is still not good. 26 at 3.73. That, I have a feeling, will be going down soon now that the Braves have finally got the tandem that they were expecting to have at the beginning. Now that you've got Freed and Soroka and Fulte back up there, I would assume you'll start to see those walks start to fall. So, so yeah, the, the starting pitching, I mean, the, the game changes. It's not like... Roger Clemens going out and throwing 130 pitches in a, in a complete game or Randy Johnson, you know, taking a, taking a game into the 10th or something like that. I mean, it, this is just kind of how the game continues to roll on. You know what I mean? So this is the importance of, of having, you know, you'll see team teams going with four man benches. So, so they can wind up having um, extra relievers to, to cover more ground. And the, the Braves are not the only team that do this shuttle thing to, to kind of interchange relievers and to you know you've got eight up at a time but you're relying on like 13 guys if you count like you know some of the guys that, that might be in triple a at any given time so yeah i mean 
as the season continues to go, you're seeing guys that are that are going seven innings. You know, they're going a little bit deeper into games. Like even even when Julio had his um, the game against the Padres the other night, he he gave up a couple runs and a couple monster home runs, but he wound up carrying it through the seventh, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the longest one. He's stretched out now. Yes. Freed Freed could have finished his game the other night. Soroka could have finished his game the other night, but. But, you know, you have to kind of take those chances to to build up the offense there. But but, yeah, I mean, things are just kind of things are shifting. Things are different. And if I'm not mistaken about the age of the person who is making these preposterous claims, it's somebody who's a little bit more from the older school of baseball. Is that is that about right? Yeah, that's about right. Uh, he's also okay. just not very baseball savvy, period. Uh, and well, that, likes to likes to be help. likes to be controversial, I guess. Uh, but I, I guess the way that I want to say this is this. And if you guys hold that opinion. Just know I don't disdain you like I disdain him because you guys aren't paid to to give your opinions. Um, but if you're a guy that that's you know upset that you know the starters aren't going into the seventh inning every time, you're judging using the wrong criteria. That is not a format for this game anymore. Starters are going five and two thirds or six innings. As you guys hear Gucci freaking out here, it's five and two thirds or six innings. That's the way it goes. It's, people aren't going 120 pitches anymore. That's just not what works for the most part in most major league systems. You you have the data now of what happens. We know all about when Gabe Kapler took Aaron Nola out uh, opening day last year. But the the philosophy the philosophy behind that that most pitchers do not perform well the third time through the order. The philosophy behind that is built up upon data that you can actually see and tell. And it's not all that shocking if you think about it. If you got if you give a guy more chances to see your pitches, then he's going to be you know he's he's more easily going to tell what pitch it is and where it's located. So it, it's not rocket science and you don't need to be my, my entire point, I guess is you don't need to be inventing reasons. You don't need to think zebras instead of horses. Like if you hear hooves, it's probably a horse. You don't need to dig and create some weird alternate universe where the glaring problem is not the actual problem. It's a good analogy. I like that. <laughs> I stole that from scrubs. I think it's kind of ridiculous. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, all things considered, you know, you're right. Starting pitching is not necessarily the problem. And, and some of the, some of the issues that the, this team has been having, uh, whether it's starting pitchers, not going deep enough into the game or having, uh, bullpen guys that are quite good enough to cover whatever remaining innings there are. Both of those problems seem to be kind of, um, in the process of being rectified right now. And I'm, I should say, I'm really happy to see Grant Dayton up. Uh, it's very, very, very good sign to see him in the major leagues. Uh, he's a guy that doesn't walk a lot of people, which is very important. He's a guy that'll throw strikes. He throws generally, he throws quality strikes. Um, had a perfect outing for his first time up. Got hit a little bit today. Gave up a hit, uh, but was it got uh, one out? He's in to face two batters. Gave up a hit and struck out a batter. So I'm fine with Grant Dayton. Jerry Blevins is a guy that I like that he's a veteran because generally I'm not a big veteran presence type of guy. I think it's a little bit overrated. Until you're in situations like the Braves bullpen is right now, where everybody's kind of floundering at the same time, a veteran is good for stabilizing. Uh, when, when you're young, you have higher ceilings, obviously, and you can be better and you can go on crazier runs than a lot of these veterans will do. But when you have that veteran guy who's stable, it kind of helps these guys keep from getting too up or too down, which is really important in the bullpen, especially. Or you know, when you get into situations like the Braves are in now, where it's like, 20 days off without an off day or something like that, something crazy uh, that, that, that gets to be pretty important. And 
I do think the bullpen will turn around some. I'm still not uh I'm still not overly excited because you can say the same thing about, you know, Washington and New York and uh Philadelphia. All three of those are top five in BABIP against as far as having the the worst luck for bullpens. I think those are the two, three, and four bullpens in baseball as far as worst luck. Uh so those will start to turn around. The good news for the Braves is Jacob Webb has looked good. Didn't look good the other night, but for the most part, he's looked really good. Um, hopefully, with Minter having a good outing last night, you can kind of get that turned around. But Luke Jackson has been good. Dayton's been good. Blevins has been good since coming over. So there are some answers there. One thing that is not the problem is surely the offense. Now, if you just watched the series against San Diego, you might think the offense is struggling a little bit. But you're facing some great pitching with San Diego, and they've their pitchers are really adept at holding back a lot of runs. Not many of their guys are, are you know, Jacob DeGrom types going to go out and strike 15 and strike out 15 in the game, but they are really good at nullifying runs and nullifying extra base hits. So this series, notwithstanding the Braves offense has been really good, despite the fact that Ronald Acuna is in some sort of slump right now. It is kind of amazing to, to look at him and say, okay, well, this kid is OPSing like 880 with six home runs in the first in the first month of the season and to still look at it as a slump, but he, he hasn't been tattooing the ball like he was in the first two weeks. Uh, Frank core was saying during the, uh, during the broadcast at some point during the San Diego series that uh, he did side by side shots of his setup before of where his, the bat was straight up as opposed to now where he's kind of got it tucked a little bit of an angle over his shoulder. So it's lengthening his path to the ball. It could be something as simple as that, or maybe he, he just, he's got his timing off or something. And, you know, he, he wound up getting getting a hit today. He came in, he got a got a pinch hit last night. That was yesterday was the first off game for him. So as, as far as this being a full on sophomore slump, I don't even think you can you could even classify it as that. I mean, it's two weeks or so. So it, it's half the season. But that also discards that he was just amazing for, for a lot of the early part of the uh, the season. So. If this is a slump for him, if 880 on being on pace for 30 home runs is is a slow start, I'll take that every single day. And you're right about that. Like those underlying numbers are still really good, but it's not Ronald Acuna good. And that's that's the point. Like you can you can clearly look at him in the game and you can clearly see that something's not quite right. His timing is <laughs> off. He's getting blown by on 93 mile an hour <laughs> fastballs and he's missing meatballs down the middle. Uh, you talked about the bat. He is. He also has it cocked a little bit more towards the pitcher, so it requires a little bit more movement. His hands also look to be a little bit closer to his body than they were at the start of the year. And I don't think that this is something permanent. Obviously, I think it's. I think he's pressing a little bit right now. He's still an uber talent. He's still. He's still a really good player. Everybody else. And he's still. He can still run into home runs pretty much all the time. But you're not seeing him smashing the ball into right center and right field like he usually does when he's good. When he's on. It's not anything to, to worry about yet. This is, this is what happens over the course of a full season. Acuna is not the profile type of guy to hit like 340. He's a guy that will struggle at points because his swing does demand his timing be on point. I think he'll get it turned around. It's a good thing that Freddie's been absolutely incredible lately. Uh, Nick Markakis has uh, been close to first half of last year, Nick Markakis. Ozzy Albies is running an OBP that's in like the 350s right now. But the other one who had been turning it on is Josh Donaldson. Now, he hasn't played in the last couple of days, nursing a sore right calf. Now, this is the right calf. It's not the calf that kept him out for months last year. And he did have a right calf injury in 2016 that cost him about six weeks. So I don't know if you're nervous about it. I don't know if I'm really nervous about it or not. 
I don't think I would have been, except I've been here in the last two days that he should be starting, and then he doesn't start. I think more than anything, it's just it's just the caution. You know what I mean? They they know that you know he is he is getting a little older, and the older you get, then it does take a little bit longer to come back from stuff. Now, last year, if Josh Donaldson was with the Braves and something like like this had happened, I think that they would have kind of forced him to go just because they didn't have a ton of depth options. That's one of the most impressive things about this year's team is that you've got Camargo who's serving as the rover role. So either he's on the bench or whoever spot he is taking is on the bench. And you've got Matt Joyce and you've got the other half of the flowers McCann tandem. You know, you, you have actual options to, and you have Culverson too. So you have actual options that you can plug in. If you, if you wind up giving Donaldson an extra day just to be on the safe side, you know, then th- I think that's a good thing. The, the only time I ever got nervous about it was when uh, I think it was Tuesday and I was the first night that he sat where they said he wasn't available to pinch hit. I'm like, Oh God, this, that could be bad right there. But for the last two days, you know, it, it didn't, didn't wind up coming to that. So uh, they, they had mentioned that he was available, available beforehand. Uh, if he's not starting against Miami, then I, that's when I've, think you might be looking at some type of a retroactive DL stint, you know, because at that point he would already be three, four days into it. So, um, so yeah, hopefully everything's fine there. I'm glad it's not the left one. I'll tell you that that's the, that's the one that that gave him all the, all the problems last year. So as long as it's the the right one and, and not the one that was bothering him the most recently, then I'm probably fine. Well, speaking of the Miami series, doc, are you aware of who is starting for the Miami Marlins tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, you know, we were just just talking about Ronald Acuna and how he's kind of pressing. I think it would be almost kind of poetic justice for him to have uh, Jose Urania be his slump buster and have him go four for four with a couple home runs. It'd be the first first time that they they will have faced him since uh, since he plunked Acuna on the wrist. I would. Uh... I would tend to agree. I do wanted to I do want to talk about this. Do you they've been talking I think it's the same umpiring crew that was uh around last year when uh Urania famously drilled Acuña after allegedly saying in the locker room that uh, Acuña is not going to hit a leadoff homer against me uh and then goes out and drills him in the arm or, or the upper rib. I do want your opinion. Do you think the Braves retaliate? Oh man, I've <sighs> God, I hope not. I, re- you know, I would, there's part of me that that wants, um, that wants like Shane Carl to to start that game. I know that he pitched today and did horribly. I think he'd have better luck against the Marlins, and then um, let him let him drill Urania, get tossed, and then that's when you bring in Gossman in like the in like the third inning or something like that. But uh, but no, I mean it's we had talked about. Two weeks ago, I guess we had talked about the Tim Anderson and, and the bat flip thing against Brad Keller. And, you know, it's almost just kind of one of those things where it's been so long now. Like the the Anderson and Keller thing happened that game. It was like the next time that Anderson came up. But this is this happened in August. So we're looking at eight and a half months. And I think it would be a shame to open it back up because then there's nothing that says that the Marlins wouldn't go and re-retaliate because Newcomb hit 
was Brian Anderson last year. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, I kind of hope not. But if it does happen, then, you know, I'll be the one ringing the bell. Like, all right, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I think, uh, I think I agree. You know, part of me, part of me wants to uh, say you bring in Camargo to pitch in the third inning just to throw like a 110 mile an hour heater right into like the knee of Jose Urania. But the, the more rational part of me says the Marlins aren't playing for anything. Like they're, Pretty much already buried in the division. Every team in the division is when it was is in was within a game and a half of each other, except for Miami, who's like eight games back of fourth place. So I don't necessarily think that I'd get into it. And if, with everybody already going to be on edge, I think wins are too important in this series, especially as the Braves leave Miami and go to Los Angeles to play the Dodgers and then play Arizona, who just got done sweeping you. With with how tight this division is going to be, I don't really think you have. I don't think you have the leeway to just kind of waste a game going after a pitcher that, quite frankly, you're more likely to destroy anyway because he's not that good as opposed to having to go out there and hit him. Yeah, and the old saying is living well is the best revenge and, you know, take the high road and turn the other cheek and all that stuff. And there, there's a time and place for all of that. But but you're right. I mean, Urania is a is a four on any other team most of the time. So you don't really have to stoop to that level. and. I wish this is the one thing I do is I wish that it was in Atlanta. Cause can you imagine like this fan base booed Luke Jackson on, on during the opening day introductions for the, for the home opener. And now, and now everybody seems to love him, but everybody has been, I said, it's been eight and a half months. We've been letting this hate for Jose Urania fester for almost an entire calendar year. Can you imagine the reception that he would get? Cause it's Friday nights, you know, this, this team, people are coming out to support the team. And with the red out, I mean, you're talking like it's, he's just going to look out and see a sea of blood in the stands. This is unbelievably scary for him. So he's lucky that it's happening in Miami, I think. That's what he gets for being a coward. Oh, yeah. No, no doubt. I, and I'm not and I'm not saying that I'm like siding with him by any means. No, I'm talking about not not facing the Braves the next time out. Oh, sorry. My my suspension is retroactive. Ha ha ha. I don't know if that was him or if that was like the Marlins are maddingly trying to say like, all right, we, we know, we know what happened. We're all thinking it, (laughs) you know what I mean? That, yeah, that was, that was, the whole thing was Bush league, but he's going to wake up tomorrow morning and he's still going to be a member of the Miami Marlins. And isn't that punishment enough? Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I I don't think I'd retaliate. I mean, you're still likely to, to mash homers off him anyway. It is kind of a perfect case for Acuna, who gets to have that happen, and Acuna just blasts the Marlins anyway. So I think that's a good series to get him right before you go out to the West Coast. Now, I do want to. I wonder what the broadcast team will say because Jeff Francoeur is never afraid to be like, "Yeah, go drill this dude." Uh, that's why I like Jeff in the booth so much, and I, I do want to talk about the booth a little bit. I know this might seem a little cliche to talk about a little bit, but uh, you and I have both noticed after they split up Chip Carey and Joe Simpson, which. They, they had to do. It was just, it was brutal at times last year. Uh, yeah. Joe Simpson, for one, he sounds so much happier on the radio than he did on TV. He actually sounds like he enjoys baseball games. And I'm a huge Frank Hoare fan. I know he's not into the, the most in-depth of stats. I don't really care. I just love Jeff Frank Hoare's outlook, and I, I love the way he presents himself. No, agreed. And and Joe Joe and Jim on the radio go really really well together. Jim Powell is to me he's he's one of the greatest baseball voices that there is. I I just I love Jim Powell. 
and and he and Joe have taken to each other really well. I think there was kind of a Joe and Chip kind of they're like Statler and Waldorf, you know, like the old old Muppets that would sit in the balcony and just talk trash all the time. And it got really cumbersome, and especially after the Juan Soto and thing, and then the K Cancer thing, which was just like, oh god, that was that was a catastrophe. But Francoeur is like he's such a goober, you know. He's like he's got that that vibe. It's like he's one of us, you know what I mean? Like he's still close enough to the game to where he's got that player mindset, but he's also still young enough to where I think that for what they're trying to do with who they're trying to bring in. Like the whole vibe seems different. And I know you're not a huge Tom Glavin fan, but I think, I think that trio works. I really think it does. And even, even like bringing in Peter Moylan, who I'm all here for Moylan. You give me Peter Moylan every game. Yeah, I could, I cannot say enough good things about what what type of addition Peter Moylan has been. But like you look at this crew and like the vibe is completely different. Frank Cor is up there laughing and, and glab and Paul Bird. Paul Bird is an idiot, but I, he, I like, love he's Paul our, Bird. I love Paul Bird. Oh, me, me too. But it's like he's our idiot. It's like <laughs> he's, he's, they're just all so goofy and lighthearted. And it's like even when they're losing, like today, you know, the this one guy um went to make a diving play on a, on a foul ball and they wound up go I just the whole the whole thing they were like laughing at the guy and they went down and they interviewed him and everything like just the way that they went about it like you never do anything like that last year so even even when you're losing even when things are not going great it's still like it's not as obvious because you don't have Joe just suddenly turning and taking it out on on some miniature aspect of the game that's different than it was when he played in like, you know, 1982 or whatever, like when he was the one that was holding George Brett back from ripping that umpire's throat out in the pine tar game. I mean, there's that too. And it's just, I think one of the reasons it works is because Jeff will completely like shut down chip. Like if chip tries to start something like Jeff will be like, nah, it's fine. Like when chip gets into the bat flip discussion, and Jeff's like, no, bad flips are fine. Just don't, you know, it just has to mean something. And then, you know, it, it's not the answer that Chip is looking for, so they don't get a chance to delve into that because Chip is an instigator. Whether you like Chip or not, and I, quite frankly, I'm not a huge Chip Carey fan, uh, I think he's fine until he gets it into his head that he has to, like, bring a controversial, controversial opinion and start a debate because I do think that he does that consciously. I don't know if he does it for ratings or what it is, but when he gets lost in the baseball game, he's fine um, until somebody lays down a bunt and then he's got like the biggest hard on ever for somebody that laid down a bunt. Like I still, I still hear him talking about that Mike Soroka bunt, which by the way was not a good bunt actually. Uh, and Camargo should have been hosed if the second baseman had actually caught a ball that was easily catchable, but I digress. <laughs> uh yeah i mean chip does love him some abc baseball and he's how old is chip 50 I would, I would probably guess somewhere around there yeah i mean even think it's god it's really only been within the, the last 10 years that things have gone the way that they have you know what i mean even Statcast didn't exist until a couple of years ago so the obsession with the with the launch angle and the exit velocity. I mean, we're talking ninety percent of his life before he really that was even became a thing. And then in the past couple of years, which is why you would hear him and Joe 
so openly mocking it. And even if a guy like Frank Hoare is not buying into all of it a thousand percent, I think that he understands the place of it a little bit more, you know, so may, and who knows for all, all we know, Anthopolis and company sat him down and they're like, all right, you got to stop mocking this stuff because this is what our front office is built on. Kind of, you know, you're saying so, you sound like an idiot when you're openly mocking the things that have been successful in baseball. That, that's always but, been my point of it, is like you don't have to like the new style of game, but if you mock the things that are successful, like you're supposed to want your team to win above and beyond. And if there's one thing that all of the World Series winners the last four or five years have had in common, it's the analytics. And that's they're all very in depth on that. So I, I, I don't care about that. I'm just not a huge chip guy, I guess. He's okay if he like if somebody as long as somebody doesn't lay down a bunt, then he's fine. If someone lays down a bunt, he like crows about it for like four innings, and I can't deal with that. Uh, like, I don't like <laughs> yeah. the three man booths though. Like, if it's just Chip and Francoeur, I'm fine. If it's just Chip and Glavin, although Glavin gets on my nerves a little bit more because Glavin, he kind of has that feeling a little bit like uh, like Smoltz does, and I I like Smoltz a lot. Him, I don't like him as a broadcaster. Uh, where. They're very stubborn as far as I don't want to see the new stuff like chips on this random kick now where it's like where he's like trying to diss people that throw hard and gets a bone cone for for people that throw 88 but locate like I, I don't I don't know why I, I do think that that's kind of a nod to Glavin though. Yeah, they were they were busting Glavin's shops for uh, for only topping out at like 88 today. Um but, you know, Glavin self-professed, he said, I could throw 91, I just couldn't locate with 91. But I love it. I love the, the three of them together. Because you, you have, like, that kind of camaraderie, you know, with, with, with Frenchie and, and with Glav. And it, it just, it's so much more relaxed. It, it really does seem a lot more relaxed with every single thing that's going on. So, I don't so much mind, I don't even really notice the, the three-man booth as it, as it being a problem. I, I I just don't like it for do. just like they they kind of end up like stepping on each other a little bit and ignoring the game. Uh, when when there's three people up there, then you always have to get both of their opinions, especially when it's two former players and one a pitcher, one a hitter. You always have to kind of give both of their opinions, and then you end up going into the game time a little bit. Um, I'm not saying that it can't always work; it has its place. I just don't like it being like a mainstay feature. Like every once in a while, sure. Um, Although I prefer it to be Moylan than Glavin. Moylan has a much closer attachment to the modern version of the game than Glavin does. Also, I feel like Hall of Famers don't always give the best baseball analysis because the game tended to come much easier to them than it does to most baseball players or even most fans to understand it. It's like a guy like Glavin, like, no, just throw your change up. Like, that's not normally a recipe for success unless you have a Tom Glavin type of changeup. Right. Yeah. Like uh, Tom Glavin's changeup, you know, all, all changeups are not created equal and his got him, got him to the hall of fame. So that, that's actually a really good point. But I think that, that having Moylan on, I saw a tweet from him earlier today, uh, thanking everybody for making him feel welcome. So I wonder if this is the end of his run or maybe this is like uh, just an evaluation period for him. So, um, I think that he'll be back as far as being full time. I wonder if they were kind of gauged because, I mean, the accent, even you can understand what he's saying. But I do kind of wonder if that's something that they were kind of testing to see how it would respond to something longer than just a short postgame interview or something or like that little segment that he did with Birdie last year that wound up going 10 minutes or something. So 
Um, but he, you know, everything that he that he explained and how he explained it, nothing was like over the top. He's not like super uh, cockney is not not the term, but I think you kind of know what I mean. Where it's one of those things where the accent is just so incredibly thick, you can't understand he it. He doesn't so. have a Manchester accent, right? He's 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 uh, not a Liverpudlian where you need subtitles, right? And uh, what am I thinking of? Pygmalion. Uh, so, so yeah, the, there's, so everything I think was fine there. Um, I'd be curious to see, uh, anything that kind of keeps Nick green out of the broadcast is fine with me. I don't hate Nick green, <laughs> but I don't Jordan. particularly, I don't really care so much for him. I like, I like everybody better than Nick green. <laughs> see, I'll, I'll take Nick way. green over Brian Jordan. I loved watching Brian Jordan play, but man, it is a struggle for him to speak. Oh my God. The, the series against the Yankees last year, just hearing Brian Jordan pronounced Jonathan Lloyd Sega's name. That was my, <laughs> that was one of my highlights of the year. And there were a lot of highlights last year. Hopefully that doesn't get back to Brian. We'd love to have you on the show. Um, <laughs> if you hear this, uh, we, we both still love you as the player. Okay. Uh, no need to be angry at us, but we do need to break off and take a, take a quick fiver here. When we come back, we're going to delve into the minor league team, whether or not there's any additions from within that we feel could be, added shortly and uh, another player who's surprising everybody with with his recent production don't go anywhere we'll be right back here on the platinum sombrero this week's episode of the platinum sombrero podcast is brought to you by the new bestseller from tps publishing 101 places to avoid before you die join us and discover why you should never consider going to places like gary indiana stockton california griffin georgia and why you should avoid the entire state of nebraska like the plague This updated edition also includes a full-page layout demonstrating why you should not go to North Dakota in the winter or Tampa, Florida ever for any reason. Our newest masterwork also discusses why you should stay home instead of going to places like the DMV, the airport, the county fair, any buffet-style restaurant, or church on Wednesdays. 101 places to avoid before you die. Patent pending. Welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by our new friends at SeatGeek. SeatGeek.com takes all of the hard work out of finding premier tickets to whatever events you like to go to, concerts, sporting events, whatever it is. SeatGeek has an app they use online that actually values the tickets so they know which seats are the best seats at any venue. That makes it so much easier to say, instead of just saying, I want to go to a Braves game, you can sort the tickets by how good of seats they are. So a seat down the right field foul pole might not be as good of a seat down uh, dead center, or it might actually be a better seat than somewhere down the third base line. They have a system in place that actually values all of these seats as far as what all their, their buyers have given them as feedback. They have all these. They have all the best prices. Makes it really easy to use. They have it on a scale of 1 to 10 so everybody can know what it means. Green dot means great seats. Yellow dots are good seats. 
And uh, red dots means it's not really a great deal, means it might be a little overpriced for the seat that you're in. And if you use our promo code ACAA at the checkout, they're going to give you $20 off. You guys know that I hate seat fees. Well, as long as you use our promo code ACAA, you're going to save 20 bucks, which is essentially going to be that seat fee. So go to SeatGeek.com, use the promo code ACAA, and get $20 off your first ticket purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event, and we have the tickets. All right. Before the break, we told you we we're going to get into the minor leagues here a little bit. Um, just some quick background. If you guys haven't been following the minors this year, it's been kind of an odd year for some of the pitchers. Ian Anderson has had a kind of a, a weird start as far as locating. Uh, finally had himself a big Ian Anderson start. There have been some guys on the team that we're not going to talk about that have had pretty decent years or pretty odd years. Kyle Muller has a weird line we've mentioned before where he's walking a lot of people and striking out even more people, which is kind of odd for him, but uh, there's a couple guys down there. We would just be remiss to not mention how well they're doing. And the first one is kind of an important one. Adam Duvall is on an insane home run binge right now. What is it like seven homers in his last 10 games? I think it actually might be more than, I think it's like nine out of his last 11 or something. Like he has been going absolutely ham down there. I mean, he's clearly, he's a dude who's got, He's a former major league all-star. You know what I mean? Like he finally has, has kind of relearned how to, how to hit again. That's my question. Has he relearned how to hit? Because this has kind of been Adam Duvall's MO for like his entire major league career. He'll go on these weird home run binges and he'll go on those binges where he is, but he was for the Atlanta Braves where he's hitting like point ninety two and striking out every at bat because he doesn't walk. And you know, God, we we've discussed uh, how how bad he was with the with a big league club a number of times, and and you know, we we both know that he's he's better than he than he showed uh, last year. But you know, he still didn't make the team out of spring training. But even still, if you if you look at what he's doing right now, I mean, he's got a slugging of seven oh one. He's got a <laughs> you know, like that's not a particularly advanced stat. That's good. If you want a, an advanced stat that also speaks to it, he's got an ISO of 392 and a weighted runs created plus of 166. I mean, the dude is mashing right now and he's hitting above 300. So it's not, it's not just the home runs. Uh, he honestly, at this point would probably be a decent addition to the major league roster. If not for Matt Joyce, I mean, Joyce has had a, a decent track record for himself as well through time in Oakland and, uh, and I think Pittsburgh as well. So there's eventually going to come a point where if he keeps this up, teams are going to call on him. And I don't know if the Braves would immediately just turn around and say, okay, yep, have at him. Because he could fill a need for somebody right now. There are teams out there, you look at the Indians, you look at the Giants in particular, like there are teams out there that really do need some outfield help. So he, that's a really good ace in the hole. I think the Giants is the one I want to focus on, and I did want to take this in the direction of trading him for reliever help because the the needs seem to line up on both teams. The Giants have an outstanding bullpen. They're just horrible everywhere else, and I mean everywhere else. Uh, You look at their outfield, and I mean, for goodness sakes, man, they started Michael Reed and Connor Joe to start the season. Was on the big league, was on the opening day starting lineup. They traded for Kevin Pillar, who is atrocious. So they could really use an outfielder. And if, if you're the Braves, I know you had a little bit of a scare there with uh, with Ender and Ciarte, where it looked for a minute like his hammy might his groin might be hurt pretty bad. It ended up being fine. Uh, but when you're when you're looking at the San Fran bullpen rotation, you're looking at guys that you'd like to have, guys like Trevor Gott, guys like Nick Vincent, Will Smith, 
uh, Tony Watson. They've, they've got a number of guys that would fill big-time needs in this Atlanta bullpen. If if it's me and I'm Alex Anthopoulos, I would have called them immediately and seen if I could get Trevor Gott for uh, for Adam Duvall. And and that might be something that could be going on behind the scenes. A, a guy like uh, Will Smith is really interesting to me. That's He's who only I making... want, but I think it would cost way more than Duvall. I think if you wanted Will Smith, you'd be entering Endurance Yarte territory. And and keep keep in mind that could be an option too. You know, you've got we talked about interest contract last week, and it's it's not bad. It's about to start getting more expensive. But for as big as their park is, then you need a guy who can cover a lot of ground. He is slowing down a little bit, but he's still he's still a pretty good uh, defensive center fielder. Um, and then you could you could move Acuna over to center. You've got Joyce. You've got Duvall. Uh, you've got Camargo who can who can fill in and left. So you do it's this is a good problem to have. And but Smith, where it gets interesting with him is I think that his contract is up at the end of this year. So you might not have to give quite as much, you know, the farther it gets into the season than uh, than the less time that he actually has available. So but yeah, the, you could definitely see a situation, you know, they're not gonna wind up trading Reyes Moranza. They're not gonna trade Mark Melanson because he's got full no trade protection, not to mention he's making fourteen million dollars each of the next <laughs> two years. Um but you know, a guy a guy like Watson who is a pitch to contact guy, he doesn't strike out a lot of guys, but he also doesn't walk anybody like ever. Um, these guys could could all be on the table. So there there could be a match there. The, him going down to Gwinnett and doing this, this isn't like the Indians getting, or no, excuse me, the Yankees getting uh, Cameron Maven for cash. Like, what happened? Because his numbers down in AAA are not that good. So you can see a scenario that that the Braves have a trade chip on their hand to, to further improve the bullpen, like we talked about in the first segment. Now, we you mentioned about he could be a, a help to this club right now. Another guy who could be a help to this club right now and may be sooner than we think is Austin Riley, who himself is on some sort of home run binge at the moment. Uh, everybody saw the 492-foot homer he hit yesterday as part of a two-homer day with another RBI double. Uh, but Austin Riley's a guy that he's he got a little bit of outfield experience in spring training. We know he can play third base. We know he can play first base as well. He's got that versatility that Alex covets on his bench players. Do you think that you could see him up before too much longer? I honestly, I don't think so. I think that I think that it would take because of the pecking order where you've got Donaldson at third, and they're obviously really comfortable running Camargo out there. I I think that if we had seen Riley get a little bit more time in outfield, that you know, because he 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 can back up first base and and be a be a backup at third and maybe play some outfield if he had to. The fact that they kind of abandoned that experiment tells me that it might not have really gone well. But I think that when he comes up. It's it's like with a guy like Waters or a guy like Pache, like you you want him to come up and you want him to start, you know, you want him to, to come up for like an actual reason and not just kind of like throw a warm body in there. Because at that point, you might as well just call up Duvall and, and let him, you know, let him fill in in the outfield. That's I think I agree with you. I there is kind of a, a different thought process that if if Donaldson were to go down for any real length of time, would you call up Austin Riley and keep Camargo in his super utility role? Um, I don't know if the Braves would do that because you got to figure giving other guys off days in the outfield that Camargo would still be seeing time all over the place and that would open up instances for Riley. I'm not sure what they would do there. I tend to agree. I think that Riley's a guy they don't really want to jerk around. I think that once they they settle on him being somewhere, I think they want him to be in one position, 
I think they want him to start there. I think it helps that he's versatile enough to go across the diamond uh, in, in a pinch to play some corner outfield. I think that definitely helps his case. But I think uh, I think Duvall or Rafael Ortega or Andres Blanco would be most likely to be called up in the event that they needed another bench body. Because Charlie Culberson can also play every position on the field, apparently. Um, one more as guy. Saw, as you saw today, yeah. Right. The only thing he hasn't done this year is catch. Uh, one more guy that uh, we should talk about, and uh, he, he's been really good for the last two outings. Sean Newcomb hasn't walked a guy in his last two outings, which is really good. Um, I I kind of am seeing some people calling for Newcomb to be brought back up and replace Julio Tehran in the starting rotation. Uh, no. No. Two starts does not equal bringing you back up. It is it is impressive to see him go down and do that. Uh, he's he's dialed the strikeouts back a little bit, which is interesting. I don't I don't haven't been um, watching because MILB TV uh, we had it out a little bit and I wound up getting my money back for this year, so I I, <laughs> I do not have access to watching minor league games right now. But uh, you know, if he does dial it back a little bit because he's still still got some big delo, but if the problem is the harder he throws and he doesn't know where it's going. If he can dial it back and top out at like 92, 93, but he can actually find the strike zone and make his curveball a weapon and make his changeup a weapon, I mean, that's great to see. Now, if he goes out and he has another start where he doesn't walk anybody, then you've got my attention. But, I mean, two is like one was good. Two is great. Three is like, okay, maybe can we can we find a role somewhere see, for him? He's still not a bullpen guy. Sean Newcomb no, is not going to work in the bullpen. I agree but, with you there, but my problem with that is if we're talking about he has to dial himself down to 91-92, what's the difference between him and Julio at that point? If if Sean has to dial himself down and Sean's not a big strikeout pitcher unless he's throwing 96, like at that point, what what is the reward aside from having a younger guy up there? Like what is What is the reward at that point? No, that's that is a good point. I think the biggest difference between those two is that um, even with Julio's ERA stays low, even if he doesn't wind up allowing a ton of runs, it's similar to this Kaino to where Julio's kind of always playing with fire just a little bit, and and Newcomb too, but it's because of the walks. He doesn't give up a ton of hits. He doesn't really give up a ton of home runs either. And God knows Julio Tehran, you can't spell Tehran without HR. So that dude loves. Love some home runs, um, I, but we'll see. You know, then this this is all conjecture. The next time Newcomb goes out, he could walk five in the first inning, and we could say, "Oh yeah, that's why he got sent out of Triple I'm just saying, like it it does it does not seem like a good thing to me that you're a guy that can throw 97, and you're throwing 91. That that should not be happening. You should be able to figure something out. Maybe send him to drive line for a while. See if it's whatever some kinetic motion like whatever was going on with Kyle Muller because at at this point I've got Sean Newcomb behind at least two others in the minors. Unfortunately, I did have him behind Kyle Wright, who since going down to AAA has not gotten any better. He's been getting absolutely blasted. I wonder if AAA using the Major League Baseball is contributing to that to Kyle Wright, and he's struggling to kind of find his grips on on the uh, the Major League ball, which is harder and the seams are lower than the double-A and single-A ball and the college balls. Uh, but but whatever it is, Kyle Wright, uh, Kyle Wright needs some help fast. He got pulverized in his last start on Sunday. He gave up eight runs and one and two-thirds innings, and 
and we talked about him being a slow starter. It was right around this time last year when he was still at Vandy that he, that he wound up turning things around. And you even saw it last year, too, uh, where he wound up getting that 13 strikeout game and five and two thirds. That was kind of like his jumping off point. So he can still find it. But yeah, man, things and maybe maybe he's got a mental block because he started out as the third in the in the pecking order and then struggled and got sent down. Maybe it was a, a damaging blow for him and he and he's just got to kind of kind of work that out it's it's e- all, always easy to go and say oh yeah well his head's in the wrong place because that's like a not exactly a quantifiable thing but i took the easy road out and that that's the description that i gave on him so I mean, a lot of those guys have been kind of unimpressive this year bryce wilson hasn't been his normal self he's been erratic with his control tukey's been getting blasted as well down there nobody's really standing out from that crop you almost have to go down into mississippi you start looking at guys like patrick weigel who just got a uh uh Three innings of, of scoreless baseball yesterday, looking good. Friend of the program, Patty Wags, uh, Ian Anderson. I mentioned had another had a traditional Ian Anderson start the other day where he didn't walk anybody, but he's kind of struggled with walks this year. Kyle Muller's been striking out everybody, but if he doesn't strike them out, he walks them. So the whole minor league pitching staff, for the most part, has been a little bit off. Joey Wentz has been really good this year. Um, he's not quite striking out the people I was hoping he would this year, but. Just to see Joey be consistently healthy is all I really care about right now. But you start looking at the, the guys in the minors right now, I don't really see one that, that if you had that catastrophic injury and you had to bring somebody up right now, I don't see any of them that are really in that great space to say, hey, they're ready to go. Strangely enough, though, if there was anybody, it would almost be Jeremy Walker for me. What they've been doing while Weigel has been building back up, you know, coming back off Tommy John, control is the first thing that uh excuse me it's the last thing that always winds up coming back so they've been kind of gradually easing him in pitch count was like 30 for his first game and then he starts going and going and going he's and he's been gradually getting better but jeremy walker who is a fifth round pick in 2016 20 yeah it was 2016 uh you know he was kind of smaller school guy they've been piggybacking him off the back of weigel starts and he has done really really well for himself he's um let let me pull up his line here so i can uh, accurately quote this here this year jeremy walker is he's one and two but he's got an era of two and a fip of 2.15 he's thrown 27 innings he struck out 23 he has walked one batter all season you know and he he kind of toiled in uh in high a last year but he the last start of the year he wound up coming up to gwinnett and that wound up being the best start that he had all year so he can obviously pitch at the higher levels, and he's as far as like getting somebody who's going to come in and, and take over a starting role long time. I don't think that that he would necessarily be that guy yet. I would feel just as I would feel even more comfortable having him in that Shane Carl role. Uh, who knows? We might have only lost uh, six to two today instead of uh, <laughs> instead of lo- losing eleven to two if Walker had been in. So got to keep keep an eye on down there. But yeah, and double A, it's one of the biggest jumps that guys can make is from high A to double A. So Joey Wentz, he was fine up until his last start. He got kind of hit around a little bit. But but you're right. The health with him is the biggest thing. I think it was the, was a shoulder thing he was dealing with. Uh, stuff has been good. Strikeouts have been there. Walks have been a little higher than you like to see. Uh, Kyle Muller, is, uh, he's striking out 11.5 per nine. He is walking 9.9 per nine, which is... Uh, very bad and not not, <laughs> not good. good. Not good at all. It's but it's weird. We he, love you, Kyle, but uh, I need you to figure that part out for me, please, sir. 
And and Tucker Davidson, uh, he and uh, Mueller both went to driveline this past year, so they are throwing so much harder than they were before. Uh, Davidson's getting a little bit better results as far as uh, not allowing a lot of runs to cross. Through 19 innings, he's only allowed two runs to score. He's walked 13 and struck out 17. He's another one of those late-round picks that you kind of gamble on, and he could turn into something. So whether he winds up being a bullpen guy, I think that he could be similar to that Thomas Burroughs, Corbin Klaus track, where it's like a big, big lefty that could wind up helping out of the pen at some point. And not, not right this second, because this is, you know, he's been in double A for five weeks. So like I said, he's got a, got a grand total of 19 innings under his belt. Just doesn't but, sound like any of the higher up guys are, are really putting anything together that's worthy of being called up. Then you start looking at Florida. Nolan Kingham had himself a complete game. Nolan Kingham's kind of come out of nowhere this year. Yeah, eleventh uh, round pick last year. He he was too old for Rome. He was he was killing it in Rome. Had a sub one ERA, and then yeah, he threw a complete game and with eighty five pitches in ninety six minutes. <laughs> that's yesterday. incredible. He had a Maddox in every sense of the word. Yeah, that's that's the most impressive start since um, I think Bryce Wilson threw a complete game in 2017 that was that was like 13 strikeouts and no walks or, or something like that. But I mean, that's that's as good of a start as you're going to wind up seeing. They stopped listing game score on the uh, in the app, so I don't exactly know what his game score was. But I can tell you one thing: it was really, really high, which is what you want to see. So that's that's good. That's really great to see. And college guy too. He could be he could be on a faster track than some of the other ones. Hayden Deal kind of the same way. Hayden Deal's been been a really good pitcher for for Florida all season. Uh, Matt Withrow, by the way, we should mention Matt Withrow getting activated. So he does live. Uh, Withrow's a guy that has a really live arm. You just want he's just had the absolute worst luck. He got hit by a pitch in 2017, I think, and broke his leg being hit by a pitch. Just a, a guy that just cannot seem to stay on the field long enough to show off that impressive arm. In the in 2017, the the rotation was in Mississippi was Max Freed, Patrick Weigel, Tuki Toussaint, um, Matt Withrow, and um, Mike Soroka and Colby Allard. Or they were they were all in there at some point. And uh, rival evaluator said, "I can see every single one of these guys being a useful major league starter." And that's that is just. That's outrageous. That is absolute. That's absolutely amazing to have that that level of talent and depth. Um, and Withrow was one of those guys. I mean, you're not going to see him on any of these top prospect lists, but yeah, he was he was part of that 2015 draft class. I think he was picked around uh, just ahead of Patrick Weigel. So there's something there. There really is. If he can just avoid the injuries, if he can stay healthy, which obviously has been a bit of a problem for him, then he, he could move quick because he pitched. Yeah. He was up in Mississippi before, um, before he broke his leg and, and all that. So good to see him back. Really good. I honestly, I forgot he was even with the organization. Right. So it's a long since I've seen him throw. And uh, it's good to see William Contreras still dominating in Florida. I would expect a call up to Mississippi for him very shortly. He's absolutely killing it, proving that he has really nothing left to prove at that level. Um, have to assume he's going to be in Mississippi before too much longer. Yeah, that's that lineup is is already just killer with Waters and and Pache, and you add Contreras in there. We did neglect to um, send some well wishes to C.J. Alexander during the Mississippi segment. He had some surgery with uh, Dr. Andrews to remove a bone spur from his elbow, and uh, recovery time I think he said is eight weeks. So we will see C.J. 
in uh, probably mid-July or August. I'm not sure if he's going to wind up playing competitively this year, if they're just kind of kind of slow walking back on account of the injury. But uh, that's one of our most intriguing guys uh, this year. So, CJ, uh, I know you're listening, so uh, get well soon, and uh, best of luck to you. Absolutely. Then when you dig into that Rome roster, Rome roster is the one that we said before the season was kind of like the most uninteresting roster. But I feel like they've been a really good team. I haven't even looked at their record, to be honest with you. But they've got some guys who are playing out of their minds right now. Trey Harris, who just got named, uh, was it Sally League Player of the Week? Player of the Week? Yeah, yeah. You know, Trey Harris hit the first, when he was playing in Missouri, he hit the first home run ever at SunTrust Park. It was during uh, SEC conference play. So that that video exists uh, online. I'll 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 post it after this episode goes live. But uh, yeah, he's. I kind of get the feeling that he's he's gonna move up here pretty soon. He's he's earned himself a promotion. He's hitting three ninety, like twelve extra base hits or something. I mean, the the kid is legit. Really, really fast. I'm just a member of that really underrated outfield in Rome. And you're talking about him and uh, was it Justin Dean and, and um, Andrew Moritz? Really, really mm-hmm. good outfield. Really fast. Moritz is not fast, but Moritz is a really good defender as well with a good arm. Uh, Our buddy Wayne Cavati who I write with over at Talking Chop, and Wayne, you can find him everywhere, uh, wrote a really awesome piece where he interviewed Trey. I think it was in the last week, and I will, um, once I post the video, I will make sure to uh, to post that uh, post that piece that Wayne wrote as well. It was really good. And then uh, Doc's boy, Victor Vodnik, leading Rome in strikeouts, where he is just kang everybody. Was it 24 strikeouts in uh, 14 innings? Yeah, he's been he's been roughed up pretty pretty badly over the last two outings. But uh, for a guy that, that's that not necessarily that new to pitching, but is uh, this new to having any type of instruction, you know, he's still kind of rough around the edges. He's still 18, 19 pitching and pitching in low A. So even if he's getting hit around a little bit, he is he is really, really impressing me with uh, what he's been able to do down there. So, I mean, if you're striking out 24 and 14 innings, that's that's. <laughs> that's really that's really stupid. impressive that's yeah. really impressive that that speaks well for for what you can expect later on uh, we are running out of time so we got one more guy and this is a guy that i don't think doc and i have ever spoken about on the show uh logan brown what can what can you tell me about the uh the big bodied catcher big body catcher is the son of kevin brown who former major league pitcher who is um he was the First player to ever sign a hundred million dollar contract, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, he's he's 22. He's you know last year the Braves went so heavy on college players. Trey Harris that we were just talking about was uh, was one of those guys. So and Logan Brown's no exception. He's 22, so he's probably a little bit old for the level, but he's he's just a really solid hitter. You know what I mean? Every every time you you open up. Uh, open up the app, you start looking around and you see like, oh, well, Brown went two for four today. Oh, he, you know, he had a double today and he, he hit a home run yes, yesterday. You know what I mean? He's, uh, I'd be curious to see what he can do at the upper levels. Um, as far as his defense, I don't really have a lot of feedback on that, but I can uh, definitely tell you that our buddies, Matt Chrisberg and Andy Harris, who do the OFR farm report, um, can give you completely in-depth uh, scouting reports on him all the way down to his blood type and the color of his eyes. So uh, <laughs> be sure to check those guys out as well. And we're getting to the point now where, you know, Kingham started in Rome and uh, Yasiel De La Cruz, who's another really intriguing guy, just got um, – both those guys just got moved up to Florida from Rome. So um, this front office is not bashful about 
promoting guys whenever they're ready. So whether it's Trey Harris or William Contreras or Logan Brown, then uh, I think you could start to see guys moving up pretty quickly. Now, what that means for Christian Pache and Drew Waters, uh, now that they're getting a little bit closer to the show, I am intrigued. I wonder, I wonder who's going to come up this year. Cause last year we were so lucky. It was a year ago yesterday that we got Soroka's debut and, you know, we got to, got to see Bryce and Tukey and Colby, even though he got just hammered, we still got to see it. So I, I wonder of uh, any of some of the bigger guys who's going to wind up getting uh, getting that nod. So I think that's even, an interesting thing to follow between the two. Uh, I think it's really interesting that Drew Waters just had his first start in left field the yeah. other day. That was the first time he started a game. And you you look at where he would uh, likely play in the the full on outfield that is realized. You would think that it would be Acuna and right, Pache and center, and Drew Waters and left. So not saying that he's about to get called up. Just saying that's something to to, to notice right there. It's it's interesting for sure. Uh, and there were there was talk in spring training about uh, Braves coaches thinking that Waters could have what was described as an Acuna level ascent, which that's like dropping a Bo Jackson comp on somebody. You don't do that lightly. You don't just go throwing that term around, right? No, so, and that would be started at Mississippi. So actually he cannot physically have an Acuna level ascent because Acuna went from what high a all the way to the majors, uh, but it could be similar. And uh, yeah, I, I, it's hard to tell. It's hard to pick between the two right now because Pache is hitting so well right now. And Pache is the better defender. Drew kind of is getting Drew's getting the notoriety right now because I think he only had like 21 games at High A before getting moved to Double A, which is insane. Um, but they're both they're both performing so well right now. I wonder too once they figure out whatever's going on with Duvall, if if once a, a spot clears up in that outfield, if they would consider moving Pache up just just because he's got a little bit more of the experience than, uh, than waters does. But, but who knows if they're trying to be aggressive with these guys, I mean, who are the placeholders right now? Uh, Travis Demerit, who actually is done. He's still hanging on, you know, he's, he's doing a lot better. Uh, maybe, maybe it's the ball. It might be helping him out a little bit. <laughs> Baller but, uh, the ballpark. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I don't think that the Demerit is necessarily got a, got a long and lustrous future as a major leaguer, but I do think that it's, it's interesting that, um, that he's still around. They they had their opportunity to give up on him. So, but as far as as it pertains to spots in the outfield, I mean, if it's Andres Blanco or Rafael Ortega or whoever's holding it down out there currently, I think that you know you give preference to Christian Pache and Drew Waters. Whenever they're ready, they're gonna have a spot. I think that's one of the the most exciting things to watch in this minor leagues. Just wrapping up the show here, I think one of the most exciting things to watch in the minor league system for the Braves this year is the growth of Waters and Pache to see which one the Braves really think is ahead of the other. Because as of this moment, you kind of have people in both camps as far as the the coaching and the front office members uh, and, and the people involved with the talent evaluation. You kind of have people in both camps where some think that Waters is just going to be an electric five-tool type of guy, something Pache is for real, and they, when he really grows into a uh, his body and learning how to use his body effectively, that he's going to be just an absolute monster. I'm excited to see which one of those two makes it first. You you guys all know that Doc and I are huge Pache fanboys. Uh, big fans of Drew Waters as well, especially a guy that's 
from not too far away from us. Uh, good, to, good to see that happening, and it's a good competition to see because uh, Drew Waters does bring something different. When you talk about his swagger, it's a little bit different than everybody else's on the team. No doubt about it. No doubt. About it. I mean, he's that's been like his his kind of biggest calling card. Like he gets the chipper comp on attitude. His game you can compare it to whoever whoever you want, but like as far as the ego, I think it was um, Brian Bridges dropped the Ty Cobb. <laughs> on Drew Waters as far as mentality and being a bulldog. So, uh, once again, it's like the Bo Jackson comp. You don't you don't just go throwing that out there unless you mean it. But if you if you have an opportunity, like I'm not just going to go ahead and, and start throwing out walls of numbers at everybody. But if you're listening to this, go to FanGraphs and put Christian Pache and Drew Waters right next to each other. Their walk rates, strikeout rates, batting average, on base percentage, slugging. Extra base hits, weighted runs created, plus the Woba, like they are basically having the exact same season. It is creepy. It's altogether ooky how how similar these two guys of se- are having of seasons, and they're they're like a month apart from each other. So if this is, it could be one of those things like Acuna and all these where you just start associating one with the other. I mean, anymore you can't mention Pache without Water's name being that close to him. So. Um, it's just so interesting. Both 20 years old and uh, infinitely more talented at age 20 than I am uh, currently. So good for those guys. And I hope to see them both in the majors soon. I can't wait to see it. I know you guys can't wait to see it either. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We'll be back again next week with another fun episode right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Let's go in.